Hey, thanks for tuning in to Hillside Juniata Sermons Podcast, where our goal is to make committed followers of Jesus. We want to encourage you that if you're not already connected to a local church, that you'll find a place where you can connect, grow, serve, and go. But wherever you are today, we hope and pray that God will use this sermon for His glory and our greatest good. Thanks again for tuning in. You are just joining us. Welcome. We are in a series on Song of Solomon. So if you did not know that coming in, I apologize. You're going to get a little surprise here. But we're talking about relationships and love and and the book of Song of Solomon. So we're glad you're here. Um, If you want to go ahead and turn to page 608, Song of Solomon, we're going to be in chapter 5. So some of you, as you're turning, you're like, wait a second, we ended in Song of Solomon chapter 3, or 2, or 3, uh, we jumped over 4. So I'm going to let you guys read chapter 4 on your own. That's a very detailed, we're going to talk about that a little bit, but today we're going to talk about conflict. And I just want to say up top, um, I have a confession, I'm going to be vulnerable with you today. Um, for the sake of accountability as well, historically, what we're going to see today is I have been a terrible uh, person in relationship when it comes to like being on time okay so I'm just gonna we're gonna see a little bit today of conflict and and there's like a a thing that I deal with Uh, often in our relationship Michaela would call me and call me and call me and what happens to me is like I'm so involved in the conversation I won't even feel the call I won't like it won't even process or sometimes I'll be like I'm talking and I'll ignore her so I'm, I'm sorry but so like I do that and she's like are you kidding me and then she has to call the person that I'm meeting with and be like hey I'm trying to call Nathaniel I need him can you and it's very embarrassing and I'm very sorry and I'm working on it but I just for accountability if you see my phone's ringing you should be like hey it's probably your wife and you should probably answer that so um, but this has been a significant point of conflict for us because this is kind of my repeat offense and I'm working on it, and I'm sorry, and she knows that we're, we're going to counseling. It's great, right? So I'm, I'm trying to do better, right? But um, I, I just want to kind of lean into you. Maybe in a relationship, maybe you have that repeat offense. Maybe you have that thing, that weakness, because the reality is in relationship, weaknesses are exposed, right? When you do life with someone in the context of marriage or, or you're trying to, to pursue what the Bible, what Song of Solomon is talking about is intimacy, you see this really ugly mirror that is yourself looking back at you and there are weaknesses exposed and it leaves you going, ooh, this is, this is gonna be something we gotta work through. And that's exactly, I love the Bible. It does not shy away from real life. Like we don't look at the Bible as this like, oh, it's like this unachievable, un, unrealistic, uninteractive, book like God is very much aware of how he created life and how it's intended to flourish so we're looking in on that today so the fact is that flaws and weaknesses they become exposed in relationship and life in marriage it's not just honeymoon and mountaintops okay so everyone who's married for longer than a week right it's like yeah that was fun you know but then you come back to reality and really what we get to experience and what we're going to see here is that reality and intimacy is forged in the walking in between, right? And that's what we get to see here. So all relationships are going to have conflict. If you don't have conflict in your marriage, in fact, we would say, are you, is everything okay? You know, like if there's no conflict, that means someone's probably rolling over because they're just like, I'm not going there anymore. Or, you know, there's a, probably an issue if you're not experiencing some form of conflict, but there's a way to conflict. So what the Bible would say is conflict is inevitable, but combat is optional. 
So we're not, we're not talking about conflict and dealing with conflict in a way that's like, pow, pow, pow. We're like, let's, let's deal with conflict the way God says. So the question is not if conflict is going to happen. It's what are we going to do when it happens? So let's just kind of reframe our mind. There's no such thing as happily ever after. I've arrived, and this is, we're just cruising on through, you know. This is something that is forged over the long haul. And the couples that have gone the distance, and I'm, I'm looking at some in the room, you know, my, my parents included, like they would say that if you want to get to a place where you say, my marriage has aged like fine wine, like over time, it just somehow, I don't know, but I just, we've got deeper in love. Like I thought the honeymoon was amazing, but somehow in this stage of life, it's sweeter, it's more intimate, and that happens through Conflict, Like that is God's design for us to forge intimacy. And that's the truth we're going to look at. And that's part of this ancient love song, which is Song of Solomon. So we're going to see chapter 5. So we're, we're jumping over chapter 4. The, the honeymoon just ended. Okay, And you can read a very detailed list of how they enjoyed that honeymoon season on chapter 4. Chapter 5, they come home and reality sits in. And right away they're met with, with life. Right, And everything comes with it. So life quickly pulls them from the clouds back to the valley. And here the fires of conflict allow them to discover something that we're going to see. And it's this beautiful thing called reconciliation. Reconciliation is what we get to see. Here we get to peer into their example and learn this love song. So if you're just joining us, we have a memory verse we want to hide into our hearts. It's Song of Solomon chapter 8 verse 7. Uh, let's read this together as we kind of think about the series. So. Many waters cannot quench love, nor will rivers overflow it. If a man were to give all the riches of his house for love, it would be utterly despised. So we're going to talk more about this next week. So if you're kind of like, okay, what does that really mean? Basically, what this is saying is that love, true love, is not something that can be bought. It cannot be earned. It cannot be demanded or forced. True love, nothing can quench it when you experience and understand who love is. It's a person. His name is Jesus. And when you see the picture of Jesus, nothing can quench it. And if you see someone trying to gain love in a means that's financial or forceful, then you would say, that's not love. That, I would utterly despise that. Like, don't do that. I don't want you to buy me. I want you to love me. And the way we love is through the example that we're going to see today in conflict. And I'm really looking forward to it. So, God's how-to... In marriage is this verse, and this whole book is a picture of marriage, the marriage relationship, but ultimately, this is for everyone in the room. So, you know, if you come in here and you're like, I'm not in a relationship, I don't necessarily care to be in one, or if you're a seasoned married partner, right? This book is for you because ultimately what's being exposed, as we read through Ephesians, is that the picture of marriage is supposed to reveal to us a greater mystery, which is the relationship between Christ and the church. So as we're going through, I just want to encourage you, as you're reading through, ask yourself, how does this connect to the relationship between Christ and the church? And I think that'll be a very worthwhile endeavor for you as you read and as we process through. So um, I'm just going to jump right in. We, we, if you've missed the last couple weeks, we do have a podcast. So if you want to listen to that, it's called Hillside Juniata Sermons. And it's on Spotify or it's on Apple Podcasts. But week one, we talked about the art of praise, how we're to use our words to, to encourage and exhort one another. Last week, we talked about the art of dating and what it is and what it's supposed to look like and how we pursue and approach one another. This week, we're looking at the art of conflict. And our main point, if you're taking notes, is that conflict can be an opportunity for intimacy. That's what it can be. So we're going to begin page 608. 
And we're going to see the first point. We're going to see address something introduced to us, the reactive cycle of conflict. The reactive cycle of conflict. And we're going to see, be instructed here on how to go about this. So in our flesh, every hurt feeling, every frustration, every heated argument, naturally, where's that going to lead? To a reactive cycle. Where it's, ah, ah, it's just over and over, and this cycle continues. My counselor wife would tell me, yes, this is a repeat pattern. Someone has to decide to stop that cycle. And yes, this cycle even happened with Solomon and his mare among the chariots. You know, like his beloved horse. I love that. Like Darren told me, or, or Chelsea was like, Darren called me the beloved horse like a million times last week. And she's like, come on, Darren. But I love Darren. Where is Darren? Where, where are you at? Hey, there you are. Sorry, I was like, oh, cool. Okay. So, yes, like even with these lovebirds, they experience this thing. And here's where we're going to pick them at verse 2 into this conflict experience. So, read with me. Uh, well, follow with me here. So, verse 2. I was asleep. This is his beloved. This is the bride. I was asleep, but my heart was awake. A voice, my beloved, was knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. I... Actually, I read it like Antonio Barris. He's like, open to me, my love, my bird. Like, that's how, that's how I, open to me, you know. It's like, and he says, for my head is drenched with dew and my locks with the damp of the night. Okay, so this is the beginning of the conflict. Why is this the beginning of the conflict? Okay, basically he's saying, come on, my sweetie pie, you know, my buttercup, my, my cutie patootie, my foxy lady. Like, he's coming home and, and already, here's, here's where we see the beginning. He knows that he's late. Right? So he's already anticipating. So here I'm like, I feel you, Solomon. This is my life. Like, like what am I going to do? How am I going to come to the door? And just like, I know I'm already in trouble. Like, I, I, how do I, you know, how do I come? So he's like, my love, my darling, my perfect one. Like, I want to come. And, you know, he, he's, I'm a sweet talk you. Like, he comes in and he says, hey, you know, I know that I'm in the doghouse. And then he gets home and he realizes he's locked out. Right? So he gets to the door and he's like, Oh boy, okay, <laughs> like, uh, okay, and, and here we go, and, and this is the scene, right? So already Solomon is trying to react, right? He's starting that reactive cycle. He's, he's anticipating her response, so he comes in, and he tries to be all Prince Charming, and, and I'm going to come in and like, oh, butter her up, you know, say all the sweet things, and, and you know, he uses all these words, and we see through Hebrew parallel, parallelism, that it reveals he was working late, right? When it references, like, his head was drenched with dew, that his locks with the damp of night, like, he was sweaty. He was working hard, and he was late. And we're going to see he was, like, late, late, right? Because of her response, like, she was already fighting to stay awake. Like, she was asleep, right? And it shows there, like, but her heart was awake. Because wives, you know, I'm sure, I'm not a wife, but if when she's out working, I'm laying, I'm like, is she okay? You know, like... She didn't text me, like, she's not answering my call. Is, is, is this okay? So, like, but it's, like, super late, and I got to go to bed, and, 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 and you're sitting there, and you're like, my heart is, is awake, but I'm, like, sleeping. So she's, like, in and out, right? <clears throat> and, and she's sitting here, and she's like, wait a second, where is he at? And then notices uh, Solomon approaches, and he tries to sweet talk her. So, um, ladies, obviously, how do you think that's going to go? Like when you're, when you're already, t- already ready, you're already sleeping and you're like, where is he? I'm nervous. And he comes in and he's like, oh, hey, you know, I'm coming. <laughs> Clearly he's, he's giving suggestions that he would like to, he doesn't have to wait at the door anymore, right? The, the, the honeymoon has happened and he can come in and he can say, open to me. Like there's a, there's a request now. 
Or he's saying, now open the door. We're not going to go out on a date. I'm coming in for a date, right? So there's a difference here. And he's coming home, and he's like, I want to be with you. And she's like, okay, here we go. Lady's like, that's, that's not going to work, right? So here's how the woman reacts, like this reactive cycle. He's anticipating, and she reacts like this in verse 3. She, she says, I've taken off my dress. How can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. How can I dirty them again? Right? So Tommy Nelson, if you've not listened to Pastor Tommy Nelson, he, said, he interprets it this way. She says right there, I have a headache. Right? Like she's like, <laughs> no. Right? So he like comes home and she's just like so upset already. And he comes home, he's like, hey, hey, hey. And she's like, no. Okay? Like I'm, I'm frustrated. And her reaction is, catch the reaction. She says this, you're late. I will punish you now. Right? She says, I will punish you. Knock all you want. That door's staying locked, sweetheart. (laughs) Like, she says, I'm going to punish you because you're late. Right? So she reacts in this way, and it's just like barriers, walls, rejection. However, we see Solomon wanted to work out that problem that they were having, right? So here's what happens. Solomon keeps reading after this rejection, but here's what he does. And again, ask that question, like, how does this point to Christ? Like, how does this feed into our relationship with him? He says, my beloved extended his hand through the opening, and my feelings were aroused to him. Right? So what happens is, is Solomon does not push himself in. Right? He doesn't climb the fence. Like, he doesn't, like, kick the door down. Like, he doesn't come in as her lowercase k king and be like, now. You know, like, demand. Like, he is gentle. And he is patient and he's respectful. There's a holy restraint yet again, right? And he reaches his hand through the door to call her and say, I long for you. I love you. Like, I want to come in and be with you. He doesn't push himself in. And then he, it, it arouses her love for him. She sees that, that gesture. She sees that invitation. And it changes something in her heart. And then, like, like that change that was brought about, it says, she, she, my feelings were aroused for him. She finally gave in. And then in verse 5 and 6, she says, I arose to open to my beloved. And my hands, notice this, were dripped with myrrh. And my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. And in verse 6, it says, I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and had gone. My heart, and then she, go, she goes after him, right? So, I searched for him, but I didn't find him. I called him, but he did not answer me. So she finally sees this invitation. She's stirred, and she goes to him, but what ends up happening is he's gone. Right? So she searches for him. He's nowhere to be found, and she's upset. And what's demonstrated here is that conflict not handled properly can be damaging. And we're going to see what happens later on to the damage of this relationship. She rejected him. Right? There was no resolution. There was just this reactive cycle of conflict. She rejects him. He now leaves, and there's this brokenness, this separation. Right? And, and here we see like that can be extremely damaging. When your spouse does or says something that hurts you, disrespects you, makes you angry, like as a result, we negatively react in hopes of changing our spouse or making ourselves feel better. Right, so in our flesh, that's the natural reaction, and that's what we see here, is a fleshly reaction. This is the reactive cycle of conflict, and yes, it happened 3,000 years ago. Like, this is not a new thing. 
Like this is the way relationship happens in our flesh. And unfortunately, just like Solomon and his darling, that cycle is here and now. And we need to learn from this and figure out, okay, is there a better way? And the Bible says, yes, there is. Like there is absolutely a better way and a way where actually that conflict can be an opportunity for intimacy. So if you keep reading, like in the next couple chapters, you see this glorious reunion, this glorious reconciliation. So I want to encourage you, be a reader of your Bible. Like don't just come and be like, I'm only going to read that Bible. You know, like read your Bible, like read and, and, and study and go through Song of Solomon and say, what, what happens? Like I want, to, I want to interact with the Bible here. And what you will see is the resolving solution to conflict. If you keep reading and you study, so that's the next point. It's the resolving solution to conflict. So in order to get out of that and into the, res- the resolution, what's going to ha- need to happen is, is a change of mind, a change of posture, a change of attitude when it comes to the, the art of conflict, right? Whatever is, is happening right now, right? The, the definition of, of, what is it, insanity is like doing the same thing over and expecting a change, like that's not how conflict is supposed to be. It's not ba ba ba, and somehow we love each other more on the other side of all these bruises, right? Like there is a way to deal with conflict, and it starts with this. Your spouse is not the enemy. That has to change. Your spouse is not the enemy. We don't battle against flesh and blood. We battle against something else, the powers, the, the darkness. You know, like the enemy, Satan himself, is after our marriages, after our relationships, and we need to see that. But if we think that we are enemies, that's going to cause a natural, fleshly, reactive cycle. So we need to change the way we think about that. The real enemy, he comes in when we're fighting with each other and he just wreaks havoc. That's when he destroys relationships because he, he distracts us and fixes our, our attention on each other. And he's like, ha, cut off the knees, you know, and then we're, we're doomed. So here's what we would say at Hillside. Here is our, our how do we apply these principles of scripture from this passage to our lives. Here's just three quick things, and, and we're just gonna kind of hustle through. But the first one that we would say, and we're gonna look at James chapter one, so the, the scripture will be on the, on the screen. But the first thing would be, listen, do not lecture, right? Okay, so James chapter one, verse 19 says, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That's hard, okay? And what we saw here is what? Solomon came home late, and his darling was quick to get angry and, and was unwilling to listen, right? And that's the case. Like, she doesn't want to hear my response or my reason as to why I'm late. The truth is, I'm late. She's like, I don't want to hear it. You're late. You know, like, it's already been done. And there's no, like, we have that reaction where we're like, I'm not going to engage. I'm not going to listen. I'm just going to tell you. And that's what she does, right? She says, there might be a very good and legitimate reason for Solomon However, she's like, I'm not hearing it. She's like, no, like I have a headache. I'm not, I'm not unlocking the door to you. And then she was quick to become angry. So it's important for us following that, that principle here that we listen to our spouse. Listen for knowing. Don't get sucked into the debate about who's right and who's wrong, who's to blame and who's at fault. Like, I don't know if you've heard that before. Like you can write yourself, you can write the person you love right out of the relationship. Did I say that right? You can love the person you love. You can write the person you love right out of the relationship, right? Like when all you care about is being right, you sacrifice the relationship. And here, that's what it was. He came home and he was like, I got an explanation. And she's like, I don't want to hear it. And like, 
who's right? It doesn't matter. The point is that there's conflict and there's a break in the relationship and a separation. So we all want to be understood and we don't want to be lectured. And I'm swallowing that pill, right? Like the ouch, that hurts me. Like I want to lecture. Like I want to just be like, well, let me tell you my reasons. And, and that should change the way you feel, you know? And I want to lecture, but the truth is I should come home and just listen. And hear like, Nathaniel, you hurt me again. You know, like you keep saying you'll be home and you're not. Like that hurts me and I need to go, you know, like I'll swallow and fall on that sword. Like that's, that's my fault. Right, rather than coming home and be like, hello, Antonio Bunte, like, I don't know. She's like, no. So listen, don't lecture. And when we seek to understand, that's when conflict can become an opportunity for intimacy. So that second thing we would say is respond, do not react. Right? Reacting is like that, that emotionally driven, fleshly, immediate response. Right? And unless you are highly sanctified and your natural reaction is more of a holy response, like, congratulations, I want to be around you because that's where I want to get to. But the reality is, like, to respond takes thought. It's a, it's a consideration of the spirit, not our flesh. And that's what we should do. Romans 12, uh, verse 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Like, there should be a battle that goes on within us where we're fighting the sin inside. We're fighting our anger. We're speaking to our, our sorrow. We're, we're preaching to ourselves. And that's something that I have a really hard time to. Like, it's really easy in friendships and relationships to, to encourage one another and share truth. And, but to myself, I feel like I don't, I can't do, I'm not allowed to do that, right? Like that loving of myself and preaching to myself feels very strange. But the reality is that the Bible says we should be self-controlled. We should speak to these things. And we should allow truth to change us and transform us. And we need to be the ones speaking that to ourselves. Which is why it's so important that we meditate on God's word. Meditation is just repeating God's word over and over so that we have it within us. And we're chewing on it. And it comes out in the way that we live. So when we react, we're trying to minimize my discomfort and maximize theirs. And that is, that is the reality of my flesh. When I respond, though, I'm willing to sacrifice my short-term comfort for a long-term solution. And that's what we see here. So the third thing we say is talk, do not walk. Okay, so here's, here's that brokenness and the separation, right? Ephesians chapter 4, 26 and 27 says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. And here's what that means. That opportunity, it's a word, it's called a place. And it's actually referred to describe a guest room. So basically what he's saying is like, don't give Satan a guest room in your house. Like that's basically what this is inviting us into is do not go to bed. Do not let the sun go down and thus give the enemy a guest room in your home. Like, deal with the conversation. Don't walk away. When we walk and we don't talk, it allows the enemy to fill in the blanks. And when he fills in the blanks, it's destructive. It's filled with deceit. And then that affects our relationship negatively. So talk it through. Don't, don't walk out. Nothing healthy lives in the dark. Bring it into the light and talk it. When we decide to do that, when we decide to talk it out and go there, even though it's painful... That's when conflict can also become an opportunity for intimacy. So we're going to jump to, because this is true, what should we do? And we want to encourage you to rest from conflict. So Ashley has this acronym, REST, okay? So we're going to, we're going to run through this and, and, and get to the, the meat here, okay? So first we would say is remain calm, 
right? So all of these principles, right? Like your spouse is not the enemy. You're on the same team. Remain calm. E would be explain the issue. This is that James 4, verse 1 and 2. Like, what's the source of quarrels among you and conflicts among you? Like, it's not the, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members, right? That's why I fight. It's because of the pleasures within me. I'm like, you're fighting them, right? You lust and you do not have. You commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. So it's what he's saying here is like, there is something within us that conflict that we want something and we're not getting it. So what we need to do is we need to speak that out, focus on the issue, explain the issue, and make sure that it's not filled with our own selfishness and desires, right? Every conflict we have, I would dare say, is a result of us not getting what we want. Every conflict. So if you want reconciliation, however, then we need to focus on the issue and we need to explain that. So that would be the the encouragement from that principle. The S would be suggest solutions. And this is something that, that you bring to the table together. Right? This is why people need to speak. They need to talk. They need to drop the walls and invite people in to have that conversation. Together, come up with solutions. And then T, track the progress. Right? The original solution that you might have had might need to be modified. It might need to be reworked. Like You might need to go back to the drawing board and, and figure out how can we do this together. But that's the point. You see the, the reframing of conflict. Conflict needs to be us together, linking arms, saying, that thing that's attacking us, let's fight that together, not apart. We're not coming and arguing together. We're saying, together, let's fight and move forward. So this rest, and here's where we get to the meat, right? This rest from conflict cannot be achieved unless both parties rest in the one who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Like, think about that. That is it not a beautiful thing when two people run to the same place in conflict? You know how difficult that is? When you run, you, like, where do you go? Like, how, where are you getting your source of, of correction and admonishment and support? But when you're running to the same place, and not only the same place, but you're running to the only one who can save, the only Savior, when you run to the only one that can handle the weight of the conflict, that is when you can truly rest. So what we're seeing here is that the solution to this reactive cycle is not you and I doing better and let's like memorize an acronym and like let's white knuckle. The solution is resting in Jesus. Resting in the gospel. And that is what happens as you keep reading chapter 6 and 7. And then we're going to get to chapter 8. What they do is they rest in the gospel. And there's reconciliation, true reconciliation, because they say less of me, more of you. And, and then there's this fixing of the conflict. Right? So they ran, what we're invited into is running to our Savior. So conflict becomes an opportunity for intimacy when we rest in Christ and we rest from conflict. So the question that I've been, I've been asking this whole series is how does this point to the relationship between Christ and the church? And I want to ask you this question, okay? How often do we ignore a knock because we think God is late? Like how often do you ignore the knock of God on your heart because you're accusing him of being late. Ouch. <laughs> like, ouch. So we say, God, you're late. 
You didn't show up. You didn't answer my prayer. I've been, I've been wondering where you are. I've been longing for you. I've been dreaming of you. I've been getting ready for you. And you're not showing up. You're late. So my reaction to that is I'm going to punish you now, God. And I'm going to lock the door. And nope, you can knock all you want, Jesus. I am not letting you in because you were late. Ouch. Ouch. That's... That's the enemy's number one tool. Is to somehow flip us to look at God as our enemy. God is not our enemy. He loves us. Like He has done everything possible to bridge the gap to have a relationship with us. And yet we say, you didn't come on my time, so I'm shutting you out. And the enemy goes, got him. Sealed it up. It's over. Like they just, I got them in that moment. I got them all twisted. And now for eternity, they'll be separated from him because they never opened the door. But here's the beauty of the gospel. Our king does not barge down the door. He, he could easily, as the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Alpha, the Omega, our king could come in and just boom, snap the fingers and you can reject me all you want, but I'm coming in because I want to be with you. No, he, in holy restraint, in understanding what is love, stands at the door and reaches his hand in. And when he does, what do we see? We see nail-scarred hands. An invitation to say, I love you. Don't reject me. I'm here for you. I've done everything. And then she's met at the door with myrrh, liquid myrrh. It's like this love calling card. And that myrrh, you know what the primary use of myrrh was? To heal wounds. Is that not beautiful? Like he's inviting us in to be healed. We just sang about it to be restored. But it's yet not I, but it's through Christ in me. That's the motivation. We find rest from conflict when we live that out. Yet not I, but through Christ in, who, who lives in me and through me. Like I am crucified with Christ. So there's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's where that song comes from. And that's the invitation. So he doesn't barge in, but what does he do? He reaches through and he shows us a picture of the gospel. I've paid for your sins. I've done everything that I can. And when we see that and we remember that, what happens? We go, I'm such a dummy. Like, I was rejecting the one that my heart was made for. Like, I was pushing him away, thinking that, like, I can drink poison and, and then he die. You know, like, thinking I can punish him for my own selfishness. When he's saying, no, I'm here and I'm knocking and I'm gentle. You know, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. And he's, he's gentle and lowly. And he loves us and he serves us. And he's standing there. He says, I want you to open the door so that I can come in and dine with you. And upon this invitation, we run to him. And then what happens, though? Here's the, here's the, the danger and the warning that I think that we see through this. Is that Christ knows the fullness of the penalty of sin. And only he knows it in unique form. Why? Because he bore the full penalty of it all. So there's no one else who can possibly comprehend the full depth of our rejection. But he has. And he understands that. He's gone there. He bore the consequences. And by his wounds were healed. But notice the consequences that happened to the Shulamite woman for her rejection of her love. Notice this invitation into... I'm snotting. Notice the invitation... 
Thank you, that's quicker. Okay, all right. Oh, sorry. Verse seven, notice what happens. The watchman, so she, she pursues after him. The watchmen who make the rounds of the city found me, and what do they do? They struck me and wounded me. And then the guardsmen of the walls took away my shawl from me. What is that a picture of? When we reject our king, we are met with eternal wounding. We are crushed. There is shame. We are exposed. Our shawl is taken. And there is this ever perpetual experience of destruction from our choice to reject him. And she experienced that in part. Like ultimately, here's the reality. There will be a day when the knocking cease. Like when time runs out. Like we don't have, our lifetime is this long. Like there's that illustration. If I held a rope and I just threw it to dad and swung over here, like lifetime would be a speck on the rope. That's the reality of our life in eternity with eternity mindset, right? And there will be a time when our lifetime is up and the knocking ceases. And the question is, at that moment, which side are you going to be on? At that moment, when, when life ends, every eye will see, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow. There will be no confusion as to who the, the Lord of lords and the King of kings is. And we will all rightly see. And what a terrifying day for those who chose to keep their door locked. That is a miserable day. That's why the Bible speaks of hell as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth is like, I can't believe I missed it. Like, oh, like for eternity you go, he was right there knocking my whole life. And I closed it. Like, I can't believe I missed it. But that's the enemy's tactic. Satan wants to use our momentary affliction to redirect our eternity. Don't believe the lie. When he tries to redirect and say, hey, focus on this. Focus on what you should have. Focus on this selfishness and say, I'm going to step back and I'm going to observe eternity. Don't make the mistake. Don't be deceived. Our lifetime is a blink. Eternity is so much longer, so much better. And here's the, another weapon from the enemy. He's got all these tools. And one of his great tools is the tool of delay. Delay is a weapon of the enemy. So if we hear the knocking, if today, if you hear God knocking on your heart and you say, yeah, but I have the rest of my life, you know, to, to, to live for the Lord. You know, or, or yeah, not now. I want to live it up now. I want to I like experience life now. But, you know, I'll do that when I have kids, you know, or we'll come together and I'm going to delay. I'm going to wait for that time. We don't know. We don't know when our time is done. And the enemy loves to use delay, delay to say, I got you. You are focused so much more. I am focused so much more on the here and now. And then he wins and he deceives us. So if you hear the Lord knocking today, he's saying, I love you. I've done everything possible to make a relationship with you happen. And he reaches his hand through the door and you see that. And you understand, maybe for the first time, like, he sees you. He loves you. He does not reject you. He doesn't look at you and say, unlovable. He says, no, I love you. In fact, I've done everything to redeem you and restore you. Will you just open and let me come in? Will you let me live with you? 
Will you let me redirect the course of your life? Will you let me speak into that dark, ugly, scary past and, and restore it and heal it? Or are we going to continue to put up barriers and say, I'm not going there again. I'm not letting you heal me. I'm not letting you see that. I'm not, I'm not doing that. This is, this is my world and, and believing the lie of the enemy. May we not do that. If we hear the knocking, open the door, let him in and surrender your life and rest in his love. It's a rest. It's not a working for, right? Like relationship. We rest. It's a free gift. It's not by work so that you and I can't brag about how awesome we are and how much we've earned. Like it's a, it's a free gift by grace through faith. And that's what it is. Rest in the love of God. And when we do that, we experience the reconciliation that is waiting for you and I, first in our soul, with the one that we were made for, and then in relationship. So the invitation to the art of conflict seen here is, have you seen Jesus? Have you preached the gospel to yourself? And are both of you running to the same Savior? Equally yoked. That's why it's so necessary. You're both pursuing the Lord together and running to the same Savior. So have you done that? Will you do that? And if you do, you will experience the rest from conflict. And relationship will thrive. It's not easy, but it is a, it is a worthy endeavor to experience one day the lifelong sweetness and love found when we are conflicting together in order to experience reconciliation. Not just we're moving on, it's under the rug. It's like, no, it's better than it ever was because we've stayed and we've done the work. So that's the invitation from Solomon and his Shulamite wife, you know, to pursue this together and so experience life. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for your love. Um, Thank you for your forgiveness, for your gentleness, for your understanding, and for the free gift that is something that we just rest in. So, Father, I pray that you help us to be a people who preach that good news to our hearts every morning and every evening, that we never lose sight of what you've done, and that Constantly, we are ever stirred with affection to love you and love those around us the way that you love us. That you laid down your life for us. There's no greater example of love. So, Father, I pray that you, you restore us, that, that there is salvation experienced among us and our friends and our ones, and you give us that reconciliation. And Lord, as we see you then, may we too experience reconciliation in our relationships, in our marriages, and would you work miracles. Lord, you know the complication, you know the difficulty, you know the nuances, and you absolutely can do the impossible. So Father, I pray for reconciliation. I pray for restored marriages. I pray for healing. And that's something only you can do. So we look to you. We surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming. Next week, we close out our Song of Solomon series, and we're looking at the art of commitment. So come around for that. We'll see how that that turns out. We'll be in Song of Solomon chapter 8. encourage you to read the next couple chapters. 
and uh, we will see you next week. Thanks for coming.